You're listening to Sermon Audio from Grace Community Church of Gresham, Oregon. For more information about service times and ways to follow us online, please go to gracecc.net. That's gracecc.net. And thanks for joining us. We transition now to to the Word and to this passage that we're going to do business with today and that is going to do business with us. Many years ago, before I became a vocational pastor, as I was talking with a much older, wiser, very seasoned pastor, he gave me some advice that I've never forgot, and this is what he said. He said, Jay, it is so great, it is such a blessing to be a shepherd, and to be a pastor, is, it's incredible, and you're gonna love it, but you have to remember that when you're shepherding the flock, when you're shepherding the sheep, Sometimes they bite. Sometimes they bite one another. Sometimes they will bite you. And I know that sounds kind of weird, and it probably sounds really weird if you weren't with us last week where we looked in Matthew 18 as we got deeper into this chapter where Jesus describes us like a flock of sheep and himself is the good shepherd, and he is the good shepherd who will leave the 99 to go find that wandering sheep. And sometimes when sheep wander, they, they bite one another. They bite other people, meaning that even though if you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you've received him into your life, you've been redeemed and restored and repaired and he's given you a new heart. And the Bible, by the way, always refers to those who follow Jesus as saints. That's what a saint is. Saints still struggle with sin, which means there will be times that we wrong one another and sin against each other. So what in the world do we do about that? Well, this passage is gonna steer directly into that. This passage is really going to talk about how we steer into sin as a community. How do we steer into brokenness? How do we steer into the reality that when someone wrongs us, we need to respond? So exactly how do we? This passage is gonna give us some very practical points about that. So. Just by way of a question, how many of you have ever heard a sermon on church discipline? I'm curious. Yeah, like 10, right? And maybe three of you online, I don't know. I've never heard a sermon on church discipline and I've been following Jesus for over 30 years, but that's exactly what this passage is talking about. And some of you are probably thinking, what in the world did I get myself into this morning? I'm watching this, or I came to church for this, but actually, this passage is profoundly practical and applicable for you and for me. There's encouragement in it, and there's also wisdom in it, because it's God's word. And so we're gonna look at this together, and as we do so, just a couple disclosures as we dive into this passage. First off, this is not the only word or the final word on church discipline. It's actually talked about in other passages in scripture as well, and the focus of this passage, we have to remember, is on repentance and forgiveness and reconciliation. I mean, sometimes we think of discipline and we associate it with its punishment, its punitive, And this isn't really the heart of that at all. This is about restoration and repair, as we will see. And the discipline that's being talked about here is done in community. And we'll look at that reality in just a minute. And the principles here are actually quite simple and straightforward, but my friends, relationships are complicated. Like, tell you something you don't already know, right? But I can think of a number of situations and scenarios where these principles aren't necessarily what you will follow. 
And we'll talk about that and try and talk about some of those variances, but at the end of the day, this is not a one-two-step method of, of how to take care of this necessarily because relationships are complicated. And because of this, we have a position paper for you that we've put together many years ago as an elder team, and it's available out in our lobby. And for those of you online, if you go to the footer of our website, it says documents, click on that link. It'll take you to all our position papers, including this one. Because if you're a visual person, kind of like I am, it actually outlines these steps. And there's a lot of pieces to this. But all that being said, this is where we're going to go this morning. How do we confront sin as a community together with one another? Matthew 18, 15 through 20. So Jesus goes on to say, if your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. And if they, will, if, they, if they do listen to you, you have won them over. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen even to the church, then treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Truly I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosened in heaven. Again, truly I tell you that if two or you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three gather in my name, there I am with them. So let's begin to walk our way through this passage. It says, if your brother or sister sins. So just to make sure we're on the same page, this is talking about another Jesus follower wronging you. And in some translations, it's even more direct, and it says, if your brother or sister sins against you. And that's what's assumed here, is this is talking about someone who has wronged you. Now here comes the question. Whose responsibility is it if someone wrongs you to repair the relationship? You. Do you realize that in Matthew 5, as we've already looked at in this series, it tells us if you wrong someone, whose responsibility is it to go that, to them, if at all possible? It's your responsibility. And if someone wrongs you, according to this passage, whose responsibility is it? to go to them, if at all possible, you. It's always your responsibility and mine to repair relationship. Whew, really? Yeah, really. You know, in my conversations with a number of you, as we talk about what it means to follow Jesus and to live distinctively for him, this is one of those ways. You wanna live distinctively from the culture around us? You live this out in your relationships, and that's exactly what we're called to do. Um, some weeks ago, a, a brother and I got into um, a very warm, heated conversation. We were disagreeing. We were in conflict together, and I actually wronged him in what I said and how I said it. So whose responsibility is it to go to him? Well, it's mine. I wronged him, right? And, and, and he also, though, wronged me. And I could focus on him wronging me, but even if I were doing that, it would still my, be my responsibility to go to him. And so, you know, we're gonna be having this very necessary conversation to repair 
the relationship. And that's what this is, that's what this is talking about. What this is really about is this is about rescuing other people from sin. That, that's our responsibility. And to remind you, in the passage we saw that precedes this, when Jesus leaves the 99 to go find the one, we see his heart to repair relationship, to rescue others from sin. And that's our responsibility together as a faith community. We rescue one another from sin. And there's some incredibly practical wisdom in this passage. It says to go to your brother or sister. What that infers is that you actually go to your brother and sister. You have a direct conversation. You have, to be more explicit, a face-to-face conversation privately. Now, this is another way that we can choose to live distinctively from the culture around us. How often do people turn to social media as the medium to solve their conflicts? All the time. And it is so tempting when you're in conflict with someone, even someone you love, to send them a text or send them an email or to tweet something. Or to, and we see this happening or post something all the time. And most of the time, in fairness, people aren't really interested in resolving conflict. They're doing that to take shots at one another. But it's amazing to me how quickly we have lost sight of the practicality and the necessity of what this verse is talking about. There are some conversations you have to have eyeball to eyeball, face to face, for the sake of relationship. Other mediums and means don't tend to work out real well when trying to resolve conflict between two people. So there's some real practical practical insight here. And it tells us to go directly to people. And not only does the medium matter, but the manner in which we go to them matters. Look what it goes on to say. If they listen to you, you have won them over. And when it talks about winning someone over, this isn't necessarily proving to them that you are right. It is trying to motivate them to do what is right. Meaning when you go to someone to resolve conflict, it's not to state your case necessarily in terms of them agreeing with you. It's not necessarily you going to get this off your chest or even probably more tellingly, it's not about you going to them and lowering the boom on them or going at them or getting them back for what they've done to you. No, no, you're trying to win them over. This, this is talking about persuading them back into relationship. And notice it says, if they listen to you because sometimes they won't. That's what this assumes. You can do all these things quote unquote right. You can go to a person. You can be very deliberate in how you approach them and we'll talk about how we're supposed to approach people in just a minute and they still may not listen to you. And by the way, one of the ways we are to go to people is captured in another part of the New Testament in Galatians where it says, brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in sin, a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves or you may also be tempted. So what do you do if they don't listen? What do you do if they're resistant? What if you do if they persist in where they're at? Then you go to the next step here. And that is you take one or two others with you. And there's some very important principles behind this. 
it makes this reference. Every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. What's that about? Well, this is in part what it's about. That's a reference back to the Old Testament, to Deuteronomy 19.15, which says this. One witness is not enough to convict anyone accused of any crime or offense that may have been committed. A matter must be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. Our judicial system is built off of principles like this out of the Old Testament with its emphasis on the necessity of the testimony of two or three or more people. But there's something even deeper lurking here. And again, it's this value of community. Justice is to be done in community. That is the Old Testament consistent example and over and over again. Think about this with me. An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Now that is a principle we can get behind, especially when someone wrongs us, right? Amen, I even heard an amen, outstanding. But understand the context of that. That is actually intended to be limiting and restraining and measured in the pursuit of justice, not in the pursuit of revenge or vengeance, like how that's twisted to be talking about. That's not what it's talking about. Because you see, in the first century, in most cultures, and it's still true in cultures today, if you steal my sheep, I'm gonna come steal your entire flock and I'm gonna burn your house to the ground and if I find you there, I'm gonna kill you and your family too. That's not justice, that's retribution. And an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth was intended to restrain that and to make justice measured and reasonable. And it was always administered in community and that's where this principle is reaching back to is this is talking about resolving conflict, working through sin in the presence of community. This is all about repairing relationships. This isn't about getting back at someone or attacking them or even establishing yourself as being right. It's about relationship repair. So how do you repair relationships? By appealing to relationship. That's why you bring two or three others with you, not to gang up on someone, but to leverage personal relational power in the resolution of the conflict. I was first exposed to this actually in this reality in college of all places. Um, I went to school at Southern Oregon State for my, my um, graduate degree, excuse me, undergraduate degree, my bachelor's. And when I was there, I had the privilege of being on the residence hall staff there. I was an RA, resident assistant, and I was a hall director for um, both cases, had 120, 150 men and women in our residence hall, all peers. And in our training as RAs or hall directors, they would teach us the difference between relational power and positional power. Positional power was what came with the role. You are an RA, you are a hall director, you actually have some authority formally that comes with that. And you only use that not as the first resort, but as the last resort. Because these are folks you're living with, literally. So you do intramural sports together and you do you know, crazy things together as a residence hall and you, you spend time and do life together. And so when you need to insert yourself into a situation, you don't come in with guns blazing touting your authority as the RA or the hall director. You appeal to relationship. And I remember when this was first tested for me as an RA, it was a weekend, and on the weekend, things went crazy at my residence hall and on our college campus. The alcohol flowed freely, and so did the problems that came with it. 
And here was one of my residents in a fist fight, literally with a guy from another residence hall down the hill. And so I go trekking out there because it's my responsibility to steer into that. And there's another RA standing there just kind of going, I don't want a piece of this. And I walk up there and I realize, well, it is one of my residents and I know him pretty well and we're in relationship together. Now, trying to reason with someone who's drunk is like trying to blow out a light bulb. It does not work. <laughs> Ain't gonna happen. But somehow this guy, I could tell by the way he looked at me after this other guy was already laying on the ground, that he recognized me. And I said, John, I said, it's Jay. Not R-A-J, Jay. It's Jay. Dude, this is going a bad place real quickly. It's already gone to a bad place. What I knew and what he didn't know was that half the residence hall that this guy was a part of were coming up the hill to fight whoever they could find. It's like, this is going from bad to worse. But I appealed to relationship in that situation. I didn't say you have to do what I'm telling you to do because I'm your RA. I said, it's Jay. I, I am, dude, you need to get out of this. Let me help you. And so he did. And I thought, hmm, sometimes this really does work. And that's the idea here. You don't take two or three people along with you in order to lower the boom on someone. It is to appeal to relationship to help someone escape sin, to rescue them from brokenness. And this takes work. Relationships are a lot of work. And sometimes this doesn't work. And therefore it goes to the next place. It says to tell it to the church. So what in the world does that mean and what does that look like? There are some churches who, in practicing this principle, actually will print out in writing someone who has come to this point in this disciplinary process. It lists their sin or sins, and they distribute it to the church. Can you imagine when you came in this morning, instead of handing you a bulletin, and we don't do bulletins anymore, but we handed you this sheet of paper. Hey, my name's on here. Yeah, I mean, really? Seriously? I'm not sure that that's what this is talking about. I think there's a deeper principle and a deeper application here. This is tapping into a resource that the world outside these walls that does not know Jesus Christ doesn't have access to, and that is the community of believers, the, the church family. This is about leveraging the power of community so that you can restore someone to community. So, Let's talk about what that, what that looks like then. In a church our size, there's give or take about a thousand of us here who call grace home. How do you practice this in a church our size? Well, some, some wisdom required here. Where there's meaningful relationship, absolutely we step into that. Most of you don't know each other. A lot of you don't know each other. So in a church our size, the way we've tried to apply this is this is one of the primary responsibilities of the elder team. And this is our, our elder team. And I am so grateful for these men. They love you. They love Jesus. And we are constantly inserting ourselves into these kind of situations. You don't hear about it because, quite frankly, it's not appropriate for you to hear details about it. But what I can tell you is the elders are constantly entering into this kind of restorative situation. Yes, it's church discipline, but the heart behind it is to restore someone to community, not kick them out of it. And we're constantly doing this. But it begs the question, what if that doesn't work? 
What if leveraging the community and the power of the church for the sake of relationship doesn't work? Then it says you're to treat them as a pagan or a tax collector. Well, what in the world does that mean? Well, I don't think it means you shun them. I know it means, or rather I know it doesn't mean you don't ostracize them. And you certainly don't cancel them as our culture goes more and more towards. In fact, Sean Rowley, one of our elders, as you know, and one of our preachers, he observed, you know, the church should have nothing to do with throwing logs on the bonfire of cancel culture. And that is absolutely right. That's not what this is about at all. But this is about separating someone from community, not to punish them, but in hopes that they'll want to come back. Because once again in the first century, and in many cultures today actually, if you choose to follow Jesus, that not only becomes your central community, you lose the other community that you have. You get kicked out of your family. Those who don't know the Lord want nothing to do with you, so now this is your community. And to lose connection with that community is everything. And again, this gets diluted in our culture, unfortunately, because if you get separated from a church for the sake of discipline in order to deal with your sin and you choose not to, then you can just go to another church down the road. And people do choose to do that. But this does meaningfully change people because there's power in community. Look what he says. Truly I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. You and I have heard this before and you've heard it in Matthew 16, when Jesus is commissioning Peter not to be the Pope, but to be one of the leaders of the early church, he says these very words to him. And what he's basically saying is you have the power and authority to unleash the work of God and to proclaim the word of God. And that same authority is given to you and me. There is an authority and a power that we have through Jesus Christ to change lives, to rescue people from sin, to repair relationships, to restore people to community. And Jesus is saying, you have that authority, so use it in the name, in my name, in the name of the Lord. And he says, where two or three gather my name, I am there with them. Now, ironically, this is probably the most misquoted verse in the New Testament. Because people will say, this, this, this proves that God is with people in a special way when two or three gather. Now, that is absolutely true, by the way. What we experienced earlier in that communal prayer time was very significant, very special. I think God does work in a special way there. But this isn't talking about whenever you pray, when two or three gather in my name, that God is there in a special way. Specifically, this is saying, where two or three gather in his name in the sake of relationship restoration, in the sake of church discipline, in the sake of rescuing someone from their sin, there's special power in that because the Lord is with you. We need to remember that, and, and we need to believe that because this is what the gospel is all about. Isn't the good news of Jesus Christ all about relationship repair? Restoring people to community? Rescuing people from sin? Wait a minute, that sounds an awful lot like my story and an awful lot like yours. 
at one point you were wandering as well. So was I. And this amazing God leaves the 99 to go find the one. Shouldn't we do the same? Instead of canceling people, writing people off, shunning them, ostracizing them, shouldn't we do everything possible to rescue them from their sin? Even when it costs us? Even when it's difficult? Even when we don't feel like doing it? Yeah, we really should. Because that's what Jesus has done for you. That's the way you have been loved. Therefore, we can love others in the same way. And so I was wrestling with, boy, how do you end a message like this? How do you do business with a passage like this? And I thought, that's exactly what we need to do, is we need to do business with this passage, and we have been. But we have deliberately sheltered some time here for you to be able to hear the Lord deliberately, personally, through the power of his Holy Spirit with what his word has touched you with this morning. So I'm gonna invite our worship team to come. And I'm gonna invite you wherever you're at, for those of you who are watching online, to bow your head, close your eyes, unless you're driving heavy equipment or driving down the road or something as you're listening or watching this, then you can keep your eyes open. God still hears your prayers. But for those of us here especially, I'm gonna invite you to bow your heads and close your eyes and let's do business with this passage. I have some questions that this passage asks of us by way of application, I'd like you to ask them of yourself and to allow the Holy Spirit to do his work in you. So would you bow your heads with me, close your eyes, and let's begin to do business applicationally with this passage. If a brother or sister were to come to you and confront you about sin, would you listen? Is there someone who can speak truth into your life? Who is that person? What faces come into your mind? Will you thank God for them? And now a question that this passage asks of us, and that is, have you wronged or sinned against someone? What are you gonna do about that? Has someone wronged or sinned against you? What's the next step for you?
Lord, these are hard things to think about and even harder things to do. And Lord, we pray for great wisdom as we live out these life-changing, relationship-repairing principles that we've thought about here this morning. Lord, would you give us wisdom to know how to forgive, to know when we can, as much as it depends on us, to reconcile with someone, to restore a relationship. And Lord, would our motivation, would our model be you? Those times we feel indignant or prideful or defensive or just don't want to do this, would we remember what you have already done for us? When we sinned against you over and over again, you forgave us. And you call us to something better. And so, Lord, I ask that we would believe you. I ask for myself that I would take you at your word. And I pray that we would distinctly live for you because of how we do community together, how we repair relationships together, and how we pursue you together. Lord, we cannot do this on our own. We need your power. We need your presence. We now sing and declare together, we need you. And we pray this in your name. Amen. And there really is nothing better than knowing him. I hope that you believe that. I hope that you experience that. Because this God is all about repairing and restoring relationship. He is the one who leaves the 99 to pursue the one. That's your story. That's my story. He is the God who pursues us. And he expects us to do the same with one another. Even when we've been wronged, legitimately so, by another and are hurt by that. His heart is for the repair and restoration of relationship. Because we often think in terms of that person wronged me or I wronged that person, but whenever there's sin against one another, it's also sin against God. And this God wants to forgive that and wants to bring restoration and healing. I mentioned to you at the beginning of this sermon that Matthew 18 isn't the only passage that talks about discipline or even church discipline, but this is such encouraging word for us, such encouraging words in Hebrews chapter 12, and I'd like to end our time with this. It says, God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness. No dis discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. But later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. And as you and I continue to wrestle with this, there's probably some of you who are thinking, I don't, I don't know that I'm buying this. I, I'm not sure I, I want to do this. Then all the motivation you're going to need is coming next week when we continue on in this passage because Jesus will speak directly to that and Sean Rowley will take us there next weekend. So I hope you're here for that. But let me pray his blessing over you as we prepare to go from here. Lord, I pray for myself and each person here and each person who is watching or listening to this that we would live distinctly different than this broken culture around us, that we wouldn't cancel people 
or ostracize people or take our shot when we get the opportunity, but rather we would always be looking to repair and restore relationship, to rescue others from sin because that is what you have done for us and you give us the power to love other people the same way you have first loved us. So would we believe that? Would we experience that? And would we go from here in the empowerment of your spirit? And we ask this in Jesus' name. And God's people said, amen. Amen. So go now and live distinctly for him. We'll see you next week. Thank you for joining us for Sermon Audio from Grace Community Church here in Gresham, Oregon. For more information about service times and ways to follow us online, please go to gracecc.net. That's gracecc.net.